Thank you, guys. Um, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, go on and open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. That's where we'll be here very, very shortly. Uh, so this morning, we're starting a new direction for, our, uh, uh, for four weeks as we study the Sermon on the Mount. So it's going to take us like 12 weeks to get through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but when I started studying, I really saw three big sections of like four different things. And so we're kind of doing a three-part series through the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we kick off uh, what I'm calling the, the theme of the kingdom. And so Jesus is really going to begin to drill down into something um, that he's kind of already been hinting at and stuff. But I really wanted to kind of recap where we've been, okay? So the very first week as we started talking about the Sermon on the Mount and really setting it up, what we saw is that that Jesus, um, that, that Jesus was, didn't just come to die on the cross for our sins, but his, in his teaching, he was teaching us about the kingdom. He was declaring that the, that the kingdom of God isn't something that's in heaven only. It's also on earth. And so we can live as part of the kingdom. And so Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount is just the most jam-packed, uh, short uh, teaching on the kingdom. And so we started talking, we looked at the Beatitudes and we saw that they're kind of like the kingdom principles. They're not a list of rules for us, but they're a list of the principles um, that we should live by and should allow God to change in us. And then we talked about uh, what it looks like for kingdom influence. We talked about the uh, salt and light. What does it look like to be salt and light in the world? And then last week, we really kind of set up this new series, but also kind of tied a bow on the first part by talking about when Jesus said, I didn't come uh, to abolish the law and the prophets, right? We talked about that. And so today we're jumping into begin, beginning in verse 21, where Jesus is actually, he gives us six statements where he takes an Old Testament passage for us, the old, an Old Testament passage, and then he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And so there's going to be six of them. Uh, we're going to kind of bunch them into smaller groups and get through them in four weeks. So today we're actually going to be taking the first two, and uh, it's going to be fun. So let's look through it. Let me read the whole passage. I'm going to read 10 verses, but we're actually going to, it's going to take us two weeks to get through 10 verses. So I'm going to read it in its entirety, though. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to just judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar there. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We will, over the next two weeks, cover all that, okay? But we're not going to get to the the dismemberment yet. That's next week, okay? So teaser for you, okay? All right, let me say a word of prayer, and then we're going to come back. Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that uh, that you do help us understand it through your spirit. God, I pray that today, 
as you've given me God's, uh, you've given me your word to explain and uh, God to declare over your people. I pray, God, that you would help me in it. Um, God, move, uh, move in my heart, God, stir in me to say the things that you would have to convey today. God, I pray um, uh, that today you would be in our midst, uh, you would be here with us, God, and you would teach us to know you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so there's a couple of misconceptions here we're going to look at. We've got four main points. If, you got a, if you're a note taker, there should have been notes in your seat. Um, but there are a couple of misconceptions that were occurring even, uh, even now and back then. And so the first thing that we've got to talk about, which we've already kind of hit on some, is that Jesus, in, this, in these two statements, he's not trashing the Old Testament. He's not trashing the OT, all right, the Old Testament. We've already said this last week, but it's important to say again, Jesus knew how his teaching was going to sound. When he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he knew that this was going to sound a little controversial. That's why he prefaced it by saying, last week we looked at it, I'm not here to do away with everything God has said in the past. Because he knew the natural response of the people was going to be to hear it and go, oh, and to question what he was saying. And we know that Jesus wasn't saying that the Old Testament is no longer relevant to what we are doing, right? And he wasn't saying it then. It's not, and I think this is why it bears repeating, is that there are some people in our culture, uh, even pastors, who have said that the Old Testament is no longer relevant in the world that we live in. For the Christian, they would say that the Old Testament is not relevant, and we need to just focus on the new. And I would venture to say that none of us would agree with that statement in, in, in word, but we often do in practice, right? When, we, when, when you sit down to read God's word and you always go to the last third of the Bible, the New Testament, and you never start with the first two thirds, then you are in practice saying the very same thing that some of these guys do. That The Old Testament is no longer relevant to what we're doing. We're living in a new day. We need new teaching. Let's just focus on that. And it's easy for us to do. But as I've told you over and over again, it's not a good idea. We need both Testaments, the Old and the New, to make sense of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and to grasp God's grace. So I won't hit on that anymore, okay, because we've, we've talked about that, that Jesus isn't trashing the Old Testament. However, there's another misunderstanding that I have seen in the world today, and it's worth pointing out here. Jesus isn't adding more commands. That's point number two. Jesus isn't adding more commands. Now, let me read it to you and, and help you see why I think it's important for us to do that. He says, you've heard it said, in verse 21, you've heard it said, uh, do not commit murder. And everyone who has is subject to judgment. But he says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he's equating the two, murder and angry, anger. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Right, so Jesus, Jesus, it sounds like, if you just look at it on the surface, Jesus is saying, all right, you've heard it said, don't commit a murder. Now let me give you three more. Now, that's, that's not right. <laughs> that's not the way we should take this. And we can do exactly like the first century Jews, and we can start marking those down. Okay, Jesus has given us three more boxes to check. Now not only can I not kill my neighbor, I also can't be angry with him, insult him, or call him a fool. Right, and you may think, well, that's silly. But I like I, there are, there, and you may be this family, and if you are, I'm not trying to question your rules in your house. 
What I'm saying is that this is the improper way. I know there are family. There are good Christian families. When they read the scripture, they go, okay, fool is a bad word and we shouldn't say it. Now, fool's a really bad sounding word for sure. <laughs> I think you should be very careful with how you use it. But at the end of the day, Jesus is not saying, if you say the word fool, then that's a sin. You know how I know that? Because of Matthew 23, verse 17. Jesus says the exact same word that he says not to say. Okay? He calls the scribes and the Pharisees fools in Matthew 23, 17. So clearly Jesus isn't giving us a box to check. There's something deeper going on. Jesus isn't blatantly contradicting himself. But this is what we want, isn't it? There's a natural tendency for us to want rules God, just give us rules for what it looks like to follow you. That's easy. And that's the way we view Christianity. We view Christianity through the lens of Christianity in a modern world. And to many of us is doing good things and not doing bad things. If you think that God's ultimate goal for your life is for you to be a moral person, you've missed it. This is not God's desire for you. God's desire is greater than that. And this is what I think Jesus came to do. He's clearly not trying to just add more laws to what already existed. He's doing something far more intense. Look at number three. Jesus is teaching proper interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, this is where I want to settle in for a little bit, and then we'll have one more point, too, where we'll really dive in. When we sit down to study the Bible... The first thing that we need to do is make sure that we understand it, okay? This is not in your notes, but if, if you're wanting to learn to study the Bible better, take notes, okay? When you sit down to study a passage like Matthew chapter 5, the first thing you need to ask is, do I even understand? Uh, I would use the word comprehend. We're looking for comprehension right off the bat, okay? If you're going to study the Bible, the first thing you need to do is, do I even understand what's going on here? Do I understand the characters? Do I understand the setting? Do I understand the overall uh, movement of the text? Reading it like you would a novel, right? Do I understand what is happening in this passage? That's comprehension. The second thing that we're looking for is meaning, and that's the word interpretation. So comprehension and then interpretation. And so when we're looking for interpretation, we're looking for original meaning. And here's the bad news. There's only one. Okay? There's only one real meaning behind a text. And what that means is, is that every denominational church that's gathering today that has differing opinions on the meaning of different passages, only one of us is right at the end of the day. We're all, we're all, there's one that's right, or we're all wrong, and we get to heaven, and God says, y'all all missed that part, right? But when we read a text, and we think, oh, well, there's more than one meaning. No, there's not. There is one meaning that God is driving us towards. He wants us to gather that one meaning, and it is, and it's found when we think about the original audience, and so that's, the, that's what's going on here in the text. The, the Jews of the first century, Jesus was a Jew, in the first century, and all the Jews that are there, they've got the scriptures from the Old Testament. They know what God has said. These guys comprehend it, okay? They can quote to you most of the Old Testament uh, laws. They can quote to you the Ten Commandments. They can quote uh, to you some number of the 603 other commands that are given 
in the Old Testament, but what they're missing, right? They're not grasping the meaning of why did God tell us do not murder? Why did God tell us do not commit adultery? Right? These are the things that they're missing out on. And just a, just a, a quick quiz. I gave you a word that represents the whole Hebrew Bible last week. Anybody remember that word? Tanakh. Nice. Who said that? Greg in the booth. The rest of y'all, you missed it. What's what's funny is, like, whoever said it first, I was going to say, Greg's going to give you 10 bucks when you leave today. So, Greg, give yourself 10 bucks. Or everybody else is going to give you 10 bucks. There we go. So the Greek word, or not the Greek word, but the, the, he, the Hebrew acronym is Tanakh. So God had spoken through these prophets of old. They had this great collection of writings that were inspired by God, but they were reading it wrong. They had hitched their belief to the wrong meaning, and it had changed the way that they lived. Listen, if you don't believe that, that, that misinterpreting Scripture is dangerous, I can remember being a kid... Um, do y'all remember uh, the folks that were going to jump on the Hellbop Comet? Y'all remember those guys? They were in the uh, Nike uh, jumps, uh, Nike track suits, and the new tennis shoes. Um, anyway, if y'all don't remember that Hellbop, I don't remember when Hellbop Comet was coming through. That's something I should have looked up. But um, but they had they had they believed that Christ was going to come in this particular year, and he was going to be riding on the Hellbop Comet, and they killed themselves and laid in, uh, as they laid in bunk beds. And waited on the Hellbop Comet to come and take them to heaven. They missed it, right? That was a poor interpretation. That's a crazy, off-the-wall kind of idea. But when you and I come to a text and we misinterpret what God is saying there, and we live our lives, because the third part, it's comprehension, interpretation, and application. The application is what we all want, right? God, how does this change the way I live? And if, but if your interpretation is wrong, then your application is wrong. And so that's what's going on for the first century Jews. They've looked at the Old Testament laws and they've said, okay, why did God give us Ten Commandments? So that we won't do these ten things. That's the that's way they interpret it. Why did God tell us do not murder? So that we won't murder. Why did God say don't commit adultery? So that we won't commit adultery. And so they've got this big long list of 613 laws and they do their best not to break any of those. And the whole, so that's their application is don't break these laws. And God's has to be screaming for, you know, 1500 years or so before Christ comes. They're misinterpreting what he's saying. And Jesus comes and what he doesn't say is, well, that's good for you, you know. If that's how you read the scripture, then God bless you. You just, that's good. But I read it differently. But that's what we do in our culture. Right? And when we sit down and study the Bible, sometimes in our groups even, and we ask, well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Well, that's a dangerous thing because there is a proper meaning of the text. There's different applications, but there's one interpretation. And Jesus doesn't say, you work hard to keep all those laws and you keep at it. But I read it a little bit different. No, Jesus jumps right in and he says, you have missed it. There is a proper way to see the scriptures. There's a proper way to see the commandments. 
You see, the Jews knew their scriptures well, but they lacked this, this meaning of what God was really saying. They could quote most of the commands, but they missed the points. They were not meant to be read as rules of conduct. Jesus shows them, and I think he shows us, that they were supposed to reveal the character of God and in turn the principles of the kingdom. That's the point of the whole Old Testament, to point forward to Jesus and show us the character of God and to show us what it looks like to live in the kingdom. And so here's, here's what Jesus really drives in on, and, and the whole sermon is held in, in point four here, okay? This is it. Sin is a heart issue. Sin is a heart issue. The Jews have convinced themselves because God said do not murder, that the sin involving um, murder is just the act itself. And then he addresses adultery, right? He takes these two things. He says do not murder and do not commit adultery. That's in verses uh, 21 and 22. You've heard it said do not, commit, uh, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And in verse 27, you've heard it said do not commit adultery, right? And so to the Jews, that's black and white. Everything else, as long as I don't slit the guy's throat, as long as I don't pull the trigger, right? I haven't sinned. As long as in the other sin, as long as I don't go all the way, then there's no sin, right? That's the way the Jews are looking at this. But what Jesus begins to show them is that sin begins in the heart, not with our actions. He says, when about murder, he says, everyone who is angry, with his brother. He says, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, many thought back then and still think that obedience to God is learning to control your actions. That is a short sell of what Christianity looks like. That is not what God has called us to be, is to be a group of people who who are put who are who are have all these internal desires that are not good but on the surface we look good. This is not what God intended us to be. I meet up with anger but hey I've never killed anybody. <laughs> I meet up with lust but hey I've never done that. This is that this is <laughs> and I may get in trouble. This is that fireproof mentality. Y'all remember the movie Fireproof? Okay, movie Fireproof. Ah, Kirk Cameron, everybody loves Kirk Cameron, right? So in the movie Fireproof, uh, he, he, ha- he has a pornography uh, a problem, and it's affecting his marriage. And he does need to take drastic steps. And so what he does is he takes his computer, and I don't remember exactly, but I think he throws it out the back, and then he beats it with a bat. Now, here's the problem. And I can't remember the movie well enough. He probably talks about this, but did that fix his problem? No. Hey, great, you got rid of computer. But guess where there are women? Everywhere. <laughs> and so the problem of lust is still there. You just smashed your $1,500 computer, but you still have sin in your heart, right? And I probably just would have given the cord to my wife to hide or something. <laughs> when God fixed it, then I could plug my computer back up. But... But he did away with the device. Listen, listen to this. He did away with the device instead of asking God to change his desire. That's the key point that Kirk Cameron missed. His sin was not in the device. His sin was in him. It was in his desires. 
and throwing the computer away is not going to take away that desire. He's going to encounter women at work or at the mall or on TV. Like he's going to encounter, he still has all those images in his mind that he can go back to at any point. And did he need to get rid of the computer? Probably, but that doesn't fix the problem. His heart is wicked and that's where his sin is. His sin is not in his hands or his eyes. It is in his heart. The same goes with murder, right? Most of us have probably never killed someone. But we're not off the hook. Most of us, hopefully, will never kill someone in our entire life. But what God was saying when he said, do not murder, is he was showing us that in our hearts is a natural tendency towards anger with the other buffoons that we have to live life with. (laughs) And some of them share our DNA. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm saying. Kids, that's what I'm talking about, all right, just in case you missed it. And like anger is in us. And what God was saying when he said do not murder is he was, he was providing for us true evidence that there is something in us that leads us there. When he said do not commit adultery, he wasn't saying you can do anything else in the world but just don't commit the act. <laughs> he was saying that there is a natural tendency in your heart towards this thing. And I want to change it. And that's what Jesus is coming to do. And you can notice he says... Uh, uh, do not murder. Um, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, everyone who's angry with his brother is subject to the exact same thing. He says, subject to judgment. And so he's, he's equating the two. He's equating murder and anger. Anybody been angry this week? Don't stray your hand. Jesus says, you should be subject to the same thing as a murderer. That's a big deal because the, the judgment he's talking about is corporate punishment. Am I saying that right? That's corporate punishment, right? Corporal punishment is whipping, right? Am I right there? Y'all are all just... Corporal, okay. All right, here we go. Thank you. I should take notes on this. So he's, that's what he's saying. So anger and murder are the exact same thing. And then he says if there's... I love... He, there's a little bit of ambiguity. He doesn't tie them together, but then he does in verse 27 with adultery. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, the sin has already occurred in the heart. That's what he says. But I tell you, once we've looked lustfully, the adultery has already happened. So listen, church. I don't know what you look like on the outside. I see what I see on Sundays. And I think all of you are great people. (laughs) That doesn't make you a Christian. And it doesn't make you obedient to God. You can check all the boxes. You can do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things. But it doesn't make you obedient to God. What God desires is a change of our desires. And so if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with some some things, maybe you haven't gone all the way to the act, the Ten Commandment (laughs) level, but you, your heart is drawing you all the way there. You may not have murdered, but you're at the angry point or you're at the insults or you're at the whatever. Maybe, it's not, maybe you're, you haven't committed adultery, but you, you're, your eyes are leading you astray. Your heart is leading you astray. Oftentimes what we pray is, God, help me, help me not do that, right? 
God, destroy my computer. God, God, help me avoid the temptation. When we need to be praying, God, change my desires. My prayer for us here at East is that we would not be a group of people who look good on the outside but are eat up with sin on the inside. But that we would be a group of people who are honest with each other and are praying for one another and for ourselves that God change our desires from the inside out. If you've been weighing your obedience to God by looking at the number of deeds you do or don't do, you have an interpretation problem. The same one that the Jews had. You need to see that your sin lies in your mind and in your heart. Next week, we're going to look at some things that Jesus tells us what our response should be. Um, but I, I just want to ask you, I, I want to offer you an opportunity to repent of the sin that you've been denying. Because in each of our hearts are these, these things that we don't think are bad. I haven't gone all the way, God, right? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't committed these acts yet. But do you not see in yourself a natural tendency towards them? That's sin. This is the sin of the heart and the heart of the sin. So I'm calling on all of us today, and myself included, who have been doing this this week, we need to repent. We need to search our hearts and not search for actions, but search for motives Search for desires that are impure and ask God to forgive us and change us. What you also need to understand is that obedience to God, the, what we're talking about, this heart-level obedience to God, begins with a new heart in salvation. Until you can't obey God, you can't love God, you can't, God can't change any desire in your heart until he makes you new. See, there's something that occurred for me when I was seven years old and it occurred for you guys if you're a Christian at different ages. But God gave you a new heart. And he placed it within you. But we're still going to struggle with those desires. The, the, the new heart that he gives us is the term regeneration. It's a new life. And then after that, is a lifelong process of making, of forming and molding that heart into what he wants it to be, changing our desires and making us more like Christ. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, that's the first step. You can't obey God. You can't, he, he can't change your desires until he gives you a new heart. Today, you got an opportunity to make those commitments today. You can repent of the sin of your heart for those of us that are Christians, and then if you're not a Christian, you'd like to begin that relationship with him today and begin to figure out what it looks like to be obedient, we'd love to talk with you as well. Also, um, if you'd like to join our church or talk to us about baptism or any questions that you have, we're going to have a couple of counselors by the back door. I'll also be down front. You can come talk to me. Um, but I'm gonna, we're going to have counselors by the back door just to, to talk with you, and they'll carry you out where you can have a conversation in private. Um, and ask any, anything that you, that you have. But I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then uh, I, I just uh, praise team, worship team, y'all come on up, and I'm going to pray and uh, turn it over to them, and then we'll stand and we'll sing and respond. Father, we trust, God, that um, as we've opened up your word, God, that I uh, just pray that you'd help us to understand it. Um, God, the, the sinfulness in our hearts, God, often leads us to uh, to read into your word, God, things that aren't there. 
God. I just, I pray for myself, God, that I, um, that I would understand the teachings of Christ. Um, God, I would recognize that obedience to you, God, is, is uh, allowing you to change my desires, God. Not just developing better habits to control the outside. I pray, God, for myself, even as a pastor, God, today, that you would change my desires. God, you know the sinful things in my heart and in my mind, God, that distract me from my walk with you. God, I pray that today you'd take them. And God, you would change my desires to look more like Christ. I pray for all of us, God, that we can ask ourselves these questions and we can deal with you in these moments. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.